Hello dear friends, welcome to Life After Life Spirit Reports based on the fourth book of the codification by Alan Kardec called Heaven and Hell. We're broadcasting live from Northern California. My name is Sunshine Beck. I'm the founding member, I'm one of the founding members of Beseha Spiritual Healing Center which is located near Sacramento in Northern California. And I'm also the founder of the Divine Light Spiritist Group in Nevada City in Northern California. And we're meeting every Sunday night to study the spirit reports that Alan Kardec so generously provided for us in this third part, in the second half actually, of Heaven and Hell for us to learn, to learn from the spirits who've come before us, to learn of how we can prepare ourselves for our own transition into our real life, the spirit life. And not only that, of how we can transform ourselves in our moral development so we can become more generous, more loving and kind human beings today which of course puts seeds into our gardens and helping us with our future as well. Before we begin, dear friends, and before I say hello to our community, let us pray for a moment and let us, if we can, close our eyes. Dear beloved Jesus, our guide and model, it is with so much gratitude in our hearts that we are gathering tonight in this virtual classroom that is so generously provided by Cardiac Radio. We thank Cardiac Radio, Dr. Vanessa and Salonia and the Good Spirits for this amazing piece of work that helps us to meet internationally and study and practice the good. We're asking our mentors and all the Good Spirits present and the mentors, our own personal mentors, and the mentors of this group to please help us to open our hearts and minds tonight so that the seeds of this beautiful teachings fall onto fertile ground in our garden of eternity so that we may reap the harvest at a later day and on our way to the harvest we hopefully will be increasingly able to be charitable and spread the good news. And with this, we humbly ask for permission to start tonight's study session. And so be it. Dear friends, hello. Let, let me say hello to the community. There's Tony. Thank you so much. Hello, Tony. So nice to see you. Thanks for joining. And soul, lovely soul, thank you so much for being here, dear friend. And Teresa, dear friend, hello, nice to see you. I'm so grateful that we have this opportunity to meet and learn and hopefully practice, right friends? Well, today we will continue with the suffering spirits. Um, there have been three categories so far. We've studied the happy spirits, the mediocre spirits, and now we are looking at, to learn from the suffering spirits. And we're asking ourselves, 
why sunshine why are we focusing on suffering spirits isn't there enough suffering in the world do we need to hear now from suffering spirits on the other side as well and actually it is not as negative as we may think on the contrary actually if we open our hearts and minds to the beautiful contribution that these spirits are giving us to help us understand of how we can avoid the pitfalls they fell in and to help us to become more conscious today so that we won't repeat the mistakes that they have made. It is actually a very, very positive endeavor and a very positive road we're walking on because we can do it differently. So in this particular case, which is called Lisbeth, at the end of Lisbeth's case, there is a spirit by the name of St. Paulin, and he says, spread the Lord's blessings. So why is the spirit saying that? And why, what does he mean or he, she means by that? For us to spread the Lord's blessings. Well, there's many different ways how we can spread the Lord's blessings, right friends? We can always have a smile, smile at people. We can bless them. We can do the good. We can feed the homeless. We can share of our goods. We can teach. We can share information. We can be generous. It's all part of spreading the Lord's blessings. But in this particular case, it is meant for us to learn from the spirits who have come before us what to do or what not to do. And it is for us to understand where the dangers lie. And that is why this particular benevolent spirit told us, spread the Lord's blessings. So we're learning from Lisbeth and all the other spirits. May they be happy, mediocre, or suffering. And as we learn, hopefully we will spread the Lord's blessings too and pass on the information to those who don't know yet so that they too may learn. What a beautiful invitation the Spirit gives us right at the beginning of our gathering, however, at the end of Lisbeth's case. So now let us turn to Lisbeth. You will find her on page, let's see, page 354 in Heaven and Hell, if you like to follow along. And Lisbeth lived or died around 1862. We don't have the exact date. And Lisbeth, as we said, was a suffering spirit. And let us learn a little bit more about Lisbeth, right? So Lisbeth's lived 150 years ago in Prussia. Now we need to remember that this book is about 150 years old. So it is about 300 years ago that Lisbeth lived, which makes it the 18th, 18th century, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. So, and she was born into a high societal status and she had everything she reports. She had everything that could be a source of happiness for men on earth. Being wealthy, she said, I was selfish. Being beautiful, I was vain. Insensitive, 
and deceitful. Being noble of birth, I was ambitious. With my power, I crushed those who didn't find themselves, fling themselves at my feet. I even oppressed those who were at my feet without thinking that the Lord's anger sooner or later crushes the highest brows. Let us pause for a moment. First of all, we know that there is no Lord's anger, right? God is a benevolent God, and it is really the law of cause and effect we fall under. So whatever seeds we put into our garden of eternity, that is how our harvest will look like. And the harvest is always compulsory, but the choice of the seeds is definitely our own, based on our own will, on our own choices. So, however, she's right in the sense that as she was selfish, vain, insensitive, ambitious, and not unkind, of course, she would reap the harvest of those seeds she planted. Right, friends? And she goes on to say, as one, as Alan Kardec asked her, haven't you made any progress as a spirit since then? And she says, no. The influence of matter causes me to rebel and you cannot imagine the hold it still has on me despite the separation of my spirit from its body. So let us pause, friends. So Lisbeth, her para-spirit is already completely separated from her physical form. We have had cases where the spirits were suffering because their bodies were still connected to their para-spirit. But in Lisbeth's case, the separation has, has taken place. And nevertheless, she's teaching us that she is in pain. And she says, pride binds us in bronze chains, whose links tighten more and more around those who abandon their hearts to it. Pride that hydra with a hundred heads that are constantly replaced, knows how to sing with poisonous hisses that seem like celestial harmony. Pride, that multiform demon that molds itself to all the aberrations of your spirit, hides in all the recesses of your heart. It enters your veins, it envelops you, it absorbs and draws you into the eternal darkness. Oh yes, eternal. So this describes pride in very high tones, in very descriptive words. And of course, pride is one of those illnesses, I want to call it, that most of us, if not all on planet Earth are suffering from. And we must not forget that. Pride is one of the main causes of pain in this world. It is question 913 in the Spirit's book where Alan Kardec so wisely asked, what is the root cause of all evil? What is the root cause of all evil? Guess what the spirits answered, Alan Kardec? Selfishness. And selfishness and pride always go together. They're like a package deal. Pride feeds selfishness. And selfishness needs pride. They work together. So 
why, what damage can pride do in our lives? Do you have any ideas? What damage can pride do? Well, one, it stirs hatred, dislike of other people, because we think we're right. We think we're better. We think we know better. We think we look better. And then when somebody does something that we don't like, we start hating them. We start disliking them. And it is all steeped in pride. What else does pride support? Pride also supports envy. Now we compare ourselves. And if we don't measure up, if we feel the others have more or are better and so forth and so on, we start feeling envy. It is one of those things that we don't want to be the culprits of stirring in others. Yes, I know we cannot control other people's feelings, but being conscious, conscientious in what we are posting on social media, on what we are sharing, on what pictures we're painting about ourselves, omitting the full reality and stirring people's envy. It makes us guilty too. But the overriding question is, are we envious of others, cars, houses, beauty, knowledge, titles, social status, vacations? That is the question that we are invited to ask ourselves tonight because it's important that we are not just studying, but we need to feel what we're studying. We need to bring it into our own lives. And so we need to reflect it back so that we can actually learn better and more so that the seeds can sprout faster and we can practice the opposite of pride, which is, friends, what is the opposite of selfishness and pride? It is charity. It is an open heart. When we feel prideful and when we are selfish, our heart becomes a hazelnut. Hazelnuts are really small. And it's just sitting there like a little nugget. But once we let go of this, our hearts grow, the blood flows, and we feel kind-hearted. What else does private stir, uh, pride stir? Let us see. There is, in the worst case, murder. There's dueling in the past. How many murders have been committed because of I'm right and you're wrong. I can't forgive you. Lust is another reason for envy uh, and pride, which is, of course, the root cause of it. And power struggle, disobedience. I'm not going to do what you are telling me because who are you anyway? Right, friends? So, of course, also lack of forgiveness, which then leads to murder. And if it's not physical murder, because we've already learned that lesson, how often do we kill with our thoughts? We're shooting arrows to other people. We're posting unkind messages on our social media accounts. We're writing emails that are not helpful, that are not helping in connecting us and creating peace in our world. So, Lisbeth was a prideful person. And hopefully we've had time 
during this reflection on pride to see where we are at and how we can improve in becoming less prideful and less selfish, not falling into the pitfall that Lisbeth fell into, that she's so bravely and so interested in sharing with us to not be prideful. Let us see what she says, what else she says. So Lisbeth is on page 354 and we're just picking out certain pieces of the message tonight. The next one, Ellen Kardec asks, would you mind providing me with a few details regarding your current position as well as the cause of your suffering? And she tells us, be humble of heart. See, on the first end, she tells us about pride and now we get the antidote. Now she's telling us of what to do. Be humble of heart. She's talking to us. Be submissive to God's will. Be patient in trial. Be charitable towards the poor. Consoling towards the weak. And be sensitive to all suffering and you will not have to experience the torment I am going through. Friends, wouldn't we like to avoid torment for ourselves, not only during our transition to the spirit life, but also during our spirit time, our life in the spirit world and in our future incarnation. Now we know. All we have to do is make a list, which is God's list as well, and remember and practice to be humble and to be submissive to God's will. Let us look at that for a moment. These two actually go very well together. We're reminded of Jesus's Beatitudes. Jesus taught, taught us to be poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What did he mean by poor in spirit? What did he mean? He meant humble and how, what is one example of how we can be poor in spirit or humble? It is when we are emptying ourselves of the desire to follow our own will alone, our own self-will. It is exactly when we surrender to God's will. As Lisbeth teaches us, be humble of heart and submissive to God's will. They go together. That means Jesus taught us that, to be poor in spirit to empty ourselves of that need, that prideful need to be in charge, but to be humble enough to recognize that there is a benevolent, loving God and that we best surrender to God's will. How can we surrender to God's will? Well, one way is in the morning to pray, to ask God to please help us, to guide us, so that we can become a vessel of his and her love, of God's love, so that we recognize the moments that we can be of service. And to remind ourselves to practice the golden rule, because practicing the golden rule is one of those beautiful easy, not so easily, more easily said than done, but very clear ways of how we can follow God's will. Do unto others as you would like them to do unto you. So if we 
when we make choices in during our days, if we run all these choices through this particular, um, how should I say, it's like a colander, a sieve, we will realize how often we are selfish and prideful. And we will. it will help us to surrender more to God's will. Another reason, another way to become poor in spirit is to let go of our possessions. What does that mean, letting go of our possessions? Well, one is, of course, that the parable of the rich young man taught us, that Jesus shared us, with us in Matthew. When the young man came to Jesus, and he was wealthy, and he wanted to follow Jesus, and he said, what can I do? And I'm really abbreviating the story. And essentially said, what can I do to follow you? And Jesus said, let go of all of your possessions and come and follow me. And what did the young man say? Oh no, I can't do that. And he went back to his wealth. And so how can we let go of our possessions so that we can become more humble, to be more poor in spirit as Jesus invited us to be? Well, what are our possessions? Of course, one is the filled garage of stuff, right? Or the closets that are stuffed full with clothes. But there is more than that. There is our own judgments. They're part of our possessions. Oh, I know this and that and the other is the correct way of doing it. And wearing this and this clothing is not the right choice for this and that person. All of our judgments, they may be political, they may be personal, they may be religious, it doesn't matter what they are, but they're part of our possessions, they're part of us, they make us who we are. And to follow God's will, we're best asked to let go of some, at least some of those possessions. Another thing is our professional distinctions, our titles, our positions, our degrees. Oh, I have a master's, I have a PhD in this, that and the other. I'm the president of this and this company. And instantly it fuels our pride. It is one other possession we have. It doesn't allow us to be humble. It doesn't mean we can't be humble while we have this, but this serves as a reminder to look at our own selves and see how are we carrying the title, the position. How, what are we doing with our possessions? Another one is the spiritual pride. That's another possession. Well, my spiritism is better than yours. I am the better spiritist. My center is better than your center. Well, spiritism is so much better than Catholicism. All of this are judgments, their possessions, it's spiritual pride. It does not allow us to be poor in spirit. It doesn't allow us to be humble when we follow those thoughts. And then there is familiar ideas and habits. Well, every Christmas we're going into the mountains and we're spending New Year's in the hot tub with fish. And whoever is arguing about that, no, then we're upset with them. So those are also possessions. But if we open our hearts, and we follow the guidance of God, 
which sometimes comes through difficult people in our lives or the people who don't want to do what we want to do, then we are on our way. And then there's, of course, the sentimental and material attachments. And we're going back to the garage filled with stuff. Right, friends? So I hope that helped us to understand a little bit of how we can prepare ourselves, how we can improve ourselves starting today to follow Jesus' guidance in his beatitude, to become poor in spirit, to be humble and to submissive to God's will. And again, of course, the golden rule. And then to be humble and charitable, as she says, patient in trial and charitable towards the poor. Of course, there is no salvation without charity. And we read that in the gospel by Alan Carter. And we also learn in the gospel that there is material charity and moral charity. Well, the material char charity we're quite familiar with. We know when we share a meal with somebody who is not as fortunate as we are, can't afford one. And of course, feeding the homeless or donating things to those who are in need, donating money, and all of that is material charity. And there is a place for it. And of course, it is good to remember to give those things so that the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, so we're not fueling our pride again, right, friends? But there's also the moral charity. What is the moral charity? Well, the moral charity is when we give somebody a smile, a pat on the shoulder, when we make remarks that are uplifting in situations that may not look so positive. Moral charity is also when we are quiet in situations where if we said something, it would cause an uproar, pain, and would not build bridges and, and get us closer, but separate us more. So moral charity is the charity that we are kind of weak at on this planet and that we're invited to practice more regularly. And of course, it starts in our thinking always. Whatever we're thinking, we emit and that's what we're attracting. And of course, we're always doing it in two planes, not only as incarnates who we're attracting, but also the discarnate spirits that are surrounding us. So friends, charity. So let us go back to Lisbeth. So again, she says, be humble, be submissive to God, to be charitable, consoling towards the weak. We know that the definition of charity by the benevolent spirits in the spirits book is to be benevolent. Bene voler goodwill, to have goodwill towards all. And it's starting again in our thoughts and then into our speech and our actions and to be indulgent indulgent towards the imperfection of others seeing the good in other people even if the actions are not pleasing to us but to focus on the good because every single person on this planet always has something good to offer as well it's not ever all negative and lastly to forgive to forgive the incomprehension of others to forgive Friends, that is our invitation. Not easy, but since we know we can make this commitment to ourselves today, and then we're helping ourselves, but we're not only helping ourselves, we are also helping 
all those who are touching our lives. And when we go into our thinking, our thinking has no boundaries. We touch spirits far and wide, both incarnates and discarnates. And ultimately, it helps our planet that is currently in a state of transition to evolve. It supports the evolution of our planet. So then Lisbeth um, is being asked, you seem to regret the wrongs you committed and which were contrary to the qualities you have stated. Has your repentance brought you any relief? So the theme that we pick up on the suffering spirits is usually some sort of regret. So we want to avoid regrets, right friends? So we want to do it right. That's our opportunity here. So she talks about repentance and the answer is no. Repentance is useless when it is but the result of suffering. What does she mean by that? Let us see. Effective repentance must be based on the regret of having offended God and on an ardent desire to make reparation. So the last couple of times we've touched on repentance and here we're learning a new facet of repentance, that there is two types of repentances, so to speak. And the one that she's referring to is the repentance that's useless when it is but the result of suffering. So when we're in a situation where we, let's say, let's give an example. So we've had a disagreement with our wife and she storms out of the house and then all of a sudden we hear that there has been an accident on the road that we that she usually takes and all of a sudden we become remorseful and we start talking to God and praying please don't let anything happen to her I'm sorry that I was mean to her and indirectly caused her to run outside the house and I'm really praying that she's coming back and I will never do it again I will forgive I will ask her for forgiveness and so forth and so on right then boom there she's back the wife nothing had happened and we can't forgive we're not following through the change hasn't really happened it was just in the moment where we felt repentance but we're not following through but then there is the second part of repentance, and that is the second version of repentance, and that is the effective repentance, which must be based on the regret of having offended God. It is about God, the offense, and on an ardent desire to make reparation. So in the small print, Alan Carter explains it a little bit more to us. Let us read so we understand that a little bit better the correct repentance. Sometimes suffering brings about a less than sincere cry of repentance. That's the case of when we offend a wife, our wife, and she runs off and we get scared that something might have happened to her. So that repentance, which is not the expression of sorrow for having committed evil because of, of because if the spirit ceased to suffer, it would commit the evil all over again. So as soon as the wife comes in, we forget and we're still upset with her and we don't ask, we don't um, apologize. So that's the wrong kind of repentance, the one that doesn't lead anywhere. That is why repentance does not always result in the immediate liberation of the spirit. It predisposes it to liberation though. That is all 
It will have to prove its sincerity and firmness of resolution by going through new trials, which will be the reparation for the evil it had committed. So in other words, when we, when we, this is a very blunt example, but maybe we can get it across. So we murder someone, then we excarnate, and we see that we've done, we've made a mistake, and now we repent. And we really get that we have offended God, and this was the wrong thing. We're sincere about and firm about. And it is like André Louis in Nosolar, he went, he did not treat his body very well. And he was labeled a suicide. And he learned later on that he indirectly killed his body by not treating it well, by not taking care of it. And he went into the umbral. And then after so many years in the umbral, he finally felt true repentance. He was upset. He prayed fervently to the good spirits to please forgive him. That was his wake up. Then the good spirits came and rescued him and took him to a spiritual hospital. That is the case of a sincere repentance. Now, when we have sincerely repented, repentant, we often then have to expiate our past wrongs. And that is most effectively done, most often, through another incarnation. So the three steps to our rehabilitation is sincere repentance, followed usually by expiation, and lastly, by reparation. And that leads us to our rehabilitation. So what is the reparation? That is when we, out of the pain of our expiation, we're now making up for it. So reparation is something, that is why the good spirits always ask us to make up today as long as we're still in the flesh. Because we don't want to have to take it into life after life and into a new incarnation. So we can apologize and make up for the wrongs we've committed in this lifetime while we are in our bodies. And that is the invitation we're getting because that will also help us planting good, beautiful seeds in our gardens of eternity so that our harvest in the future will be more positive. And of course, it will help the evolution of this planet as well. So, dear friends, let us close and summarize Lisbeth's lesson. Lisbeth asks us to not be prideful. We understand how pride fuels so much harm, causes so much harm and pain in on planet Earth in an, and in our own lives. We're being invited to follow Jesus's Beatitudes, to be poor in spirit, to be humble and follow God's will, to let go of our possessions, to be more open-hearted, to be more open-minded. And we're also being asked, of course, to be more charitable. And we've learned that there's two types of charity, the material and moral charity. Yes, dear friends. And lastly, we've learned that repentance has two facets. The one that's not really effective, which leads us not to make any changes in our lives, 
but then there is the repentance that comes from the heart where we really truly feel how we've offended God, God's will. And that usually leads then to expiation and um, reparation. And the reparation is something we can embark on today. We can make up for our wrongs. And how do we know, how can we get to know ourselves and our actions in this lifetime and sometimes even just on a day-to-day -day basis best? Well, St. Augustine recommended to us in the Gospel and in the Spirit's book to do a nightly review so that we can tune into our actions on a daily basis and learn and see, have we followed God's will? Have we used the golden rule more often than not? Have we been humble? Have we been charitable? Where do we need to make reparation? Let us close our eyes, dear friends, and let us thank the good spirits and Jesus and the spirit doctors and our own mentors and the mentors of this group from the bottom of our hearts for this beautiful teaching tonight. We're also grateful to Lisbeth and the mediums at Ellen Kardec's Times. And of course, the beautiful, dedicated work that Ellen Kardec brought to this planet for us still today to learn, to learn of how we can transform our own minds and hearts to become more charitable every breath of the way, to learn from these beautiful spirits who are here to help us, to support us and guide us. And we're asking humbly to have support in the week to come to practice these beautiful lessons. And we're humbly asking for permission to close tonight's gathering. And so be it, dear friends. Thank you so much for joining. It has been a pleasure. It's always so beautiful to learn more, to be reminded. And often we know these lessons, and yet it is good to be reminded, right, friends? So God willing, we will see each other again next Sunday, same time. God bless you. Have a beautiful week. Good night.